Revelation chapter 2. We're going to read verse 1 through 7. If you would stand with me please as we read this and uh, see what God has for us today. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars." and has borne and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcome will I give to eat of the top tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit has to say. I pray that you would give us a mind to understand. And I pray, Father, that you would give us a heart that willingly follows you and, and, and seeks to obey you. We praise you and we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. Problems have been a part of the life of the church almost since its inception. The shortest and most simplest answer to this dilemma is the church is composed of sinners. Each one of us in this has something in common outside of the Spirit of God that indwells within us, and it's that we by nature are sinners. And therefore, our pride sometimes arises up and causes problems. Our neglect sometimes causes problems. But nonetheless, many of the issues, if not all of the issues that we face in the church today and even then arise from our sinfulness. It's no different at Valley View Baptist Church than it was at the church at Ephesus. There were some issues that, uh, that they faced and that we might face today. A point of concern from a pastoral perspective. When I came in December of 2019 and uh, we began to work through Second Peter 1 in verse 1, I-, I told you then that my approach to Scripture was verse by verse. We're going to walk through the Bible as slowly as possible or uh, whatever speed uh, is necessary. We're going to get through the Bible verse by verse. And I told you then that, that, that what I think and what my, in my pastoral ministry is the best way to handle anything. I grew up in a church that you knew what the preacher was going to preach on on Wednesday night because in the Christian school, if there was issues on Monday and Tuesday, you knew exactly what was going to be addressed on Wednesday night and you knew exactly who he was going to be talking about. It wasn't a big Christian school, maybe roughly 100 kids and half of us went to the church, if not more. And that was not the best way to handle problems, right? I mean, he's singling people out in a church of about 400 people. And so what I have found is that the best way to address anything is just verse by verse because eventually we're going to get to some issues that the church faces. Uh, We're going to get to some issues maybe that you're dealing with privately, but who knows. But nonetheless, that has been my approach to preaching for, for a while now. 
And I think maybe um, there was probably some excitement. I don't know the history of the pastors that have come here. I don't know if this has been the practice um, or not. But nonetheless, there seemed to be some excitement of how the Scripture was going to, to, to be handled. But I think maybe some of us have grown weary of this. I think some, maybe some of us have grown weary of this weekly verse by verse. And the reason being is this, is that it demands more of us. To, to be able to take the Scripture and go verse by verse demands more of us. It demands more of us from, from thinking with our mind. Why? Because we have to think through, first of all, what the Scripture has saying. It demands more obedience from us. It's easy to just grab a piece of Scripture and get all excited about it and run around and hoop and holler and then everybody leave. But that kind of preaching really doesn't demand anything of us. If we're going to be Christians and we're going to be identified by our obedience to Christ, then we must submit to the Scripture. Now let me say, this is not your pastor trying to lord over you. I grew up in that. I don't want to be that. I'm not trying to lord over you and guilt you into doing something that you're not doing. This is your pastor warning you, as we will see in this text today, that if we're not careful, our complacency will set in. As I said, preaching in this manner requires that we engage our mind. I think sometimes we want to come to church and just get all uh, have feelings and, and emotional and just leave and not have to think about what the preacher had to say. But if change is, is necessary for the Christian, then we must engage our mind. We must engage our heart. And, and what else has to be engaged is our obedience has worked out through our hands. The task of praying and studying and reading and preaching of God's Word takes diligence. It's not that I go into the study on Sunday or Saturday evening and just pick out a text to preach and things happen. It takes great diligence through the week. It takes discipline to set aside time for prayer and for study and to compose a sermon. The task of hearing God's Word, that is to receive it through the ears and into the mind, takes great diligence. But it also takes great diligence to not just hear with the ears, but to hear, to understand, to comprehend, and then respond in obedience. Deuteronomy 6, 6 5 it says that thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, with all thy soul. In other words, with all of thy being. See, we can't properly love God if we don't understand with our mind who God is. I've, I've learned to love my wife over the last almost 27 years now. Why? Because I've engaged my mind into understanding who she is. I've loved her even more each day. And, and for us to understand who God is, we have to engage our mind. This, our Christianity is not just some mindless religion. And look, I'm not, I don't want you to think that I'm making it all about intellectual. I'm not. I'm telling you that we have to think through these things that we believe and we hear. Our greatest display of our love for God is to follow and obey His commands. Jesus said, they will know you're my disciples if you have love one to another. Jesus also said that um, our love for Him and our love for our neighbor is a greatest sign that we're a Christian as well. That's what the law and the commandments hang on. Now, it may seem a bit odd 
that we would take a break from Hebrews. And it's almost, as I, as I begin to pray about this, I really, I didn't want to leave Hebrews. I wanted to continue through Hebrews. But I want us to use these letters as a self-assessment. I want us to take inventory individually of where we each are as Christians. How is your love for God? How is your love for the thing, for for the things that concern Him. How is your love for things that matter in eternity rather than temporal? Do you have an idol that you have raised up to worship more so than you've worshipped God? And I want us to not just individually assess ourselves, but I want us to corporately, as a church, collectively look at ourselves. What can we do better as a church? Where can we improve? What do we need to repent of as a church? It's a word that we don't like to hear much, that we, we're content to see things go along as things are clicking and seem to be doing okay. We don't want to do a self-assessment. Look, my, my desire is that we would use these letters for that as a spiritual inventory of ourselves and of our church. This warning given to these churches, repent from that which you have neglected or else you will lose your gospel witness. And the church we're looking at this morning is, from, is, is the church that was in Ephesus. Now, there were not, let me just say this, in that region of where it's modern-day Turkey today, there were not just seven churches. There were, these are seven literal churches that these letters are written to, but it was to the church as a whole, not just in that area, but to the world around them. So I want to ask a couple of questions before actually getting into the text this morning. What do you think a letter from Jesus to Valley View Baptist Church would contain? We're going to see in this text, as you've noticed in the bulletin, there's five things about this text. There's a command given to John to write. There is commendation for what they were doing good. There's condemnation for what they were doing wrong. There's exhortation for what they can do better. And there's warning given that if they don't do this, um, then God will take their candlestick away. So if, if, if we received a letter this morning from God Himself, which we really have and it can, it contained in the Scripture, what do you think it would contain concerning Valley View Baptist Church? Would we be commended for that which we have remained faithful to? Would we get a check mark, an attaboy, an A+, maybe a smiley face on our paper? for the things that we've remained faithful to? Would we be condemned for the things that we have neglected? If that is the case, then we need to look at what we've neglected. And even more specifically, because of our neglect and obedience, do you think we are or would be in danger of losing our gospel witness? Now, losing a gospel witness for God to take away the candlestick from a church, the church ceases to exist to be a true church. In other words, it just becomes a shell of a church. Yes, there are people that come. Yes, the Bible might be preached. Yes, there are songs that are sung. But in all reality, it is not functioning as a true church should. And that is primarily seen in our gospel witness as we go out into the community. You see, the gospel should not just be heralded from behind this pulpit every Sunday. The gospel should not just be heralded within the walls 
of this community. The gospel should be heralded as each of us leave this place today and we go to our jobs and our activities and the community around us that we make known the name of Christ. This church is interesting that John would start here because John was the pastor at Ephesus for a couple of years. And Paul, in Acts chapter 20, verse 26 through 21, stated this to the Ephesian elders as he began his journey to Jerusalem. Um, I'm sorry, to Rome to be uh, to have his life taken for the sake of the gospel. Here's what Paul had to say to these Ephesian elders. Wherefore I take you to record this day. He's saying, mark this down. I want you to remember what I'm going to tell you. That I am pure from the blood of all men. In other words, Paul said, I have preached the gospel when it was popular. I preached the gospel when it was not popular. I preached to every man that I could, so I am free from the blood of all men. He says in verse 27, one of my favorite verses, For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. What Paul said, Brother James, I didn't hold anything back. As God gave me revelation, as God gave His Word to me, I didn't hold anything back. I didn't keep it in my pockets. I didn't put it in a cupboard. I didn't hide it in a briefcase. I delivered it to you. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which He hath purchased with His own blood. He's saying, be aware. We see that, that phrase, take heed, a lot in Scripture. It's to be aware, be attentive uh, to, to those around you. You know where my sphere of influence is right now as a pastor? Valley View Baptist Church. You know what I'm to take heed to at this moment in, in guarding Valley View Baptist Church and as a pastor overseeing Valley View Baptist Church. And it's to feed the church of God. You are, as a redeemed person, as a redeemed sinner, you are a part of the church of God. And it is to that that I am to, to shepherd you with the Word of God. Verse 29 says, For I know this. Paul says, I am certain of this thing, that after I leave, shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. The grievous wolves he's talking about are false teachers. And we studied about false teachers in 2 Peter last year. He says, I know they're going to come in. I know they will come in to deceive you. And that's the whole purpose for a false teacher is they seek to deceive. They don't seek to make known the Word of God. They don't seek to make known uh, the promises of God, the warnings of God. They don't, seek to hold, they don't seek to display the full counsel of God. They seek to deceive for their own benefit. He goes on to say in verse 30, Also of your own selves shall men arise up. He's saying within the church. So there will be some who come from without to come into the church, that, that will be grievous wolves. But he's saying, from within. And he may have been speaking specifically to the elder body. That there will be some of you that rise up speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Now let me tell you something about doctrine. About, about biblical doctrine. True doctrine will always lead you closer to God. False doctrine will always lead you further away from God. And keep that in mind. And then he says in verse 31, Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Paul preached with tears. 
He preached with compassion. Why? Because he knew there would come a day when there would be false teachers come within the church. He preached with fervor. He preached he, as much, and they had the Old Testament in those days. He preached with clarity God's Word. He preached with depth God's Word. And so that to that, I want us to take inventory of ourselves as a church as we work through these letters for the next seven weeks. So let's look at our text. Verse 1, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus. Right Now let me tell you right off the bat that Revelation, because of its nature as being apocalyptic literature, is highly symbolic. There are many allusions to the Old Testament. So what's he talking about when he says an angel? I'm writing to the angel. Does that mean that each church has an angel that watches over them in a supernatural manner? I think we do have guardian angels, but that's not what he's talking about. An angel is simply a messenger. An angel uh, is one who shines light into dark places through the Word of God. So the messenger, the angel that he's talking about are the pastors of these churches. These pastors are given the task of being God's mouthpiece, God's messenger, and declaring the full counsel of God. So in a sense, I as a pastor of Valley View Baptist Church am an angel in that sense that I'm a messenger. I'm not an angel with a halo thinking that I'm all good and that kind of innocent kind of stuff. That's not what it's talking about. We're talking about messenger um, of God. These, uh, and he goes on to say, uh, uh, these things said he that holdeth the seven stars. That's no, something else that's symbolic of a pastor. And what do stars do? Stars shine light into dark places. The sun. Is it not a star? Absolutely, it's a star. What happens in the daytime? It shines light into seemingly dark places. This letter, oddly enough, is addressed to the pastor first. It's addressed to the pastor. And what, he, what, he, what I think he's saying is you need to examine yourself. You need to examine well, the things that, that, uh, that you have neglected. This is the messenger whom God Himself has ordained to oversee, teach, exhort, and feed. The church. Folks, this didn't come by my own doing. Pastors should not be pastoring because of their own, their own inordinate desires, their own doing. They don't muscle them ways into, their way into a church. It's ordained by God. This is something that is very serious. These are the men who should hold nothing back in declaring the full counsel of God. It is that to this messenger God holds accountable for at least the doctrinal direction of the church. There is a sin, and I've said this before, I answer to you as the members of Valley View Baptist Church, but ultimately, I answer to God Himself. Why? Because He has called me. He has set me apart as His messenger. And it is to Him that I ultimately answer. So this letter contains commendations and condemnations, exhortations and warnings to the pastor first. Isn't that odd? And it's strange that he would write it to the pastor to say, hey, this is a commendation, this is what you're doing well, and this is a condemnation, and so on and so forth. Look, this does not in any way mean that I'm above any member of this church. You have the same Holy Spirit dwelling within you that I have within me. And what God has done in His church is He has gifted particular people to minister in particular areas. He has just so happened to give particular men the the ability 
to reason through the Scripture and to explain the Scripture. This is a God-given ability. This is not because I'm so smart and so studied. This is what God has done through His Spirit. So the, the letter is first to the pastor. It's addressed to the pastor, which will ultimately excuse me, be passed down to the church. Now notice who this letter is from. From he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Now the golden candlesticks, let me say, is, is symbolic of the church. Um, I, I thought it was interesting. And, and Jane said she read the text, but she didn't do that because, but there is a lighthouse on the front of your bulletin. That's the church. We're to be a lighthouse for the gospel. The gospel shines in the dark places. Well, that's, that's the candlestick that we are, are a flame that is burning bright with the gospel. But it's from the omniscient one. It's from Jesus. Notice what he says. Uh, what he says in verse 2, I know. And if you, what we'll notice as we work through these letters, that all these things we saw about Jesus in Revelation chapter 1 begin to come out as he addresses each church. That Jesus is walking amongst the stars. He's walking amongst the candlesticks. And if you get nothing else out of this sermon, remember this. Two words. Jesus knows. He's not just aware of. He is intimately involved. And he has intimate knowledge of the goings-on of Valley View Baptist Church. He knows your thought process right now. He knows your heart right now. Hey, look, He knows your struggle that you're going through right now. He knows if we're functioning as a true biblical church should function right now. He knows. He's not just aware. He doesn't just have an idea. He, is, he has intimate knowledge of all of His churches and of all of His people. This comes from the omniscient one. And also, uh, these, these things about Jesus reveal something about this church. He knows those to whom He has granted faith. He knows those who are playing church. He knows if you're here for, for purposes to learn and hear God's Word, or He knows if you're just here to put on a show. He knows. You may be able to fool me, you may be able to fool others, but you cannot fool Jesus Christ. He walks amongst His church and His stars. Look at verse 2. We now see the commendation. There was a command to write given to John to address the churches. And he writes this letter first addressing the pastors. But there's, there's a... Um, what follows is an examination of the church. Verse 2. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars. Look at verse 3. And hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. Now look down at verse 6. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. The church in this commendation is encouraged for their labor of persevering in doctrinal faithfulness. What had happened in the, in, the, in the church at Ephesus was exactly what Paul said would happen. Is that there were these false teachers that came up that professed to be false apostles. 
And the church examined them by the standard of God's Word. They examined each one of them. And look, if you remember when we were going through 2 Peter, one of the marks of a false teacher is their lascivious lifestyle. They don't care about godliness. They don't care about holiness. They don't care about living their life in consistency with the Word of God. They live their life to please themselves. And they seek to to get others to follow them. That's one of the tragedies about our social media today is you've got so many people out there that are professing to be apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers, and you know what they're doing it for? How many likes and hearts they can get on their Facebook page. Or how many retweets or likes they can get on Twitter. Or how many shares they can get on Instagram. What are they doing? They're not seeking to glorify God. They're seeking to bring honor and glory to themselves. And what Jesus is saying to this church is, hey, you were faithful to persevere through this doctrinal battle. And there were those that were going about teaching false doctrines. There were those that were going about seeking to bring attention to themselves. And this church, through their examination process, weighed those guys to see that they were not who they said they were. They discerned doctrinal inconsistency. I had someone ask me, and I've told you this before, and I think about this often because it really speaks to the state of the church and where we are today. I had a lady ask me in a church I pastored, I just want Jesus. Why do I need all this theology and doctrine stuff? Well, theology and doctrine help us to understand who God is and what He has done. It helps us to worship Him rightly. You see, when Jesus said, that, that those who worship God must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The Bible dictates how we worship God. The Bible dictates what the bounds of worship are. We don't get a right to, with our own heart and our own emotions, say, well, this was worship. Right? And look, we could change some things in our church, and we could kind of ramp up the, at- the atmosphere a little bit, and we could get people to get emotional, and you could walk out and your life is no more changed. That's a doctrinal battle that I will stand against. I, I, we're not going to be, as, as long as I'm here, we're not going to be guilty of manufacturing an atmosphere. I want the Spirit of God to work here. I want Him to be evident here. But I don't want to have to manufacture something to make people think that, man, I need to go to Valley View. Boy, the Spirit of God is at work. I want them to come and meet people and hear preaching and say, God is at work at Valley View. God is, or you can go to your community, go out to your neighbors and say, hey man, you ought to come try us out. Come give us a visit. God's at work in our church. So they were able to discern doctrinal inconsistency. But thirdly, notice, in verse 4, now comes the condemnation. They have been commended for the thing they've done, and the thing they've done the most... Was, was Boy, they remained faithful to the Scripture. They remembered what Paul said and they fought that battle. They persevered through that battle. And I want to tell you, fighting doctrinal battles can weigh heavy on you. And you can get to a point where you want to give up. But we must persevere through that. And so the condemnation comes in verse 4. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Got something against you, church. I got something against you, pastor. What does he say? Thou hast left thy first love. You left the thing that you loved first. Now, 
And reading some commentaries, some said, well, that was their love for one another. Well, I don't think that's right because I think their love for one another was exhibited in the way they circled the wagons in a doctrinal manner to guard against those false teachers. They say, well, it was love for Christ. Well, our love for Christ will be seen in how we obey Him. And what seems to be the consensus, and and I I wholeheartedly agree, even if I didn't have a commentary to tell me this, they lost their zeal for public proclamation of the gospel. They no longer saw the area they lived in as a mission field. And when they left the church, they, they, they no longer would witness to the grace and mercy of God in salvation. They left that off. And folks, let me tell you, when you leave that off, when you leave that zeal for the gospel off, you know what happens? church begins to die. A church will not continue on. And he'll go on to say that you need to repent or I'm going to take your candlestick away. This is why Jesus introduces himself as one who walks among the lampstands. Do you know what else he knows? He knows if you've lost your zeal and fervor for the gospel. He knows if you've lost your zeal and fervor to tell others about what God has done in you. Folks, we're messengers. We're heralds for the gospel. Every individual that that can name the name of Christ, you ought to be a, a, a herald for the king. And you know what a herald does? He walks out into the town square and he says, Hear ye, hear ye. Right? There's a message that we have to proclaim. A message of forgiveness. A message from the, excuse me, freedom of sin. A, a, a message from the bondage, from being in bondage to sin. And a message of grace and mercy found only in Christ. Why would we hold that to ourselves? And the picture that we get from this letter is that we ought to be a candle burning brightly for the world to see. But yet, many churches have a bushel over that candle. And light is not going into the darkness. We've hid this thing to ourselves. What we've become, in many ways, churches have become social clubs. And there's this strict policy of how you can get in. And let me tell you, from what I see in Revelation, that there will be people from every walk of life and every nation, every tongue, every tribe that will be at the feet of Jesus worshiping Him. Folks, we have a responsibility to tell others of this grace that God has extended to us. When we lose God the zeal for witnessing, we're half a step away from having our gospel witness taken away. Do we rejoice in being able to share the gospel with others? And look, the responsibility is not on you to coerce a decision out of someone. You plant the seed, someone else comes behind you in water, and who gives the increase? God. God is the only one that can make that seed that has been planted germinate and grow. This is planting season, right? Y'all planted wheat, Brother James, planting other, some other stuff. Is there anything you can do to make that seed grow outside of fertilizing and, and doing what needs to be done? A lot of prayer, right, for rain? No, God has to send the rain to cause the seed to germinate, to cause it to grow that it might bear fruit. If you're a Christian, you ought to be bearing fruit of what God has done in your life. 
Folks, I will proclaim the gospel when given every opportunity, and that happens on Sunday morning primarily. I will declare the gospel. But it is not my responsibility solely to declare the gospel in this part of Montag County. You have influences and friends around you that I will probably never talk to outside of a divine appointment. Be faithful to witness to them. You say, Brother Brian, I, I just, I, I, I get nervous. I got a phone. Every one of y'all have my phone number. You know what my favorite thing to do is? Talk about the gospel. Tell what Jesus has done for me. That God pulled me out of my self-righteousness, having grown up in church for 30 some odd years, and God extended His hand of mercy and saved me from my self-righteousness. That is a message that we must proclaim or we will lose our candlestick. Let's go to verse 5, the warning. Remember, therefore, from whence you are fallen. Hey, do you remember when you got excited about the gospel? Do you remember when you got excited about seeing someone saved and we had to drag the horse trough out and, and, and baptize someone? Do you remember the excitement, the fervor that you felt? Do you remember the excitement when you heard somebody talk about religion and your ears perked up and you saw a way to get in that conversation to share the gospel? Do you remember? Jesus says, repent. Repent from what you've fallen. Repent that you've left your first love of making Jesus Christ known. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. Remember where you, where you were at one time before this doctrinal battle ensued. And repent and do the first works. Can I tell you, repentance always requires action. Repentance requires us to turn to something, therefore turning away from something. In the gospel message, we say repent and believe the gospel. What are we saying? Turn to Christ and turn from your sin. And trust in Christ alone for the saving of your soul. Therefore, as a church, our repentance from our neglect from the first love is to go back to that first love and turn away from our complacency. He says, repent or you're going to lose your gospel witness. Notice what verse 5 says. Or else I will come unto thee quickly. I'm not going to delay, but I will come quickly. And will remove the candlestick out of his place except thou repent. How many churches you think are in existence today that really don't exist as a church any longer? They're just a shell of their former self. They're just a shell of what they used to be. God has removed that candlestick. God has removed that gospel witness. And they're essentially nothing more than a social club. Well, with a warning always comes an exhortation. Look in verse 7. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit has to say. Let me ask you something. Those of you that would profess Christ, do you hear the Spirit saying, hey, you've left your first love. You no longer witness to my grace. You no longer witness to my mercy. You no longer point others to me. You're bringing recognition to yourself for whatever reason. Repent. Let him hear what the Spirit has to say unto the churches. And by the way, he's not just saying this to Valley View Baptist Church. He's saying this to every church. 
Folks, we can't just grow complacent. We have to be constantly aware of what we're not doing or what we are doing. Notice what he says, To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. The exhortation is to hear, and the word hear is not just the faculty of hearing. The, hear, the word hear implies hear and respond in obedience. So what he's saying is if you hear what the Spirit has to say, you need to respond in obedience. Our obedience is saying is we go, and, and I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, I'll order some more of these this week, and i got a bunch of these in the back. They're gospel tracks. They don't have the church information. If we can get a church stamp, stamp them on there, it would be fine. If not, take you a handful of them. Pass them out. Drop them wherever. Put them on a urinal in the men's bathroom. Put them on the, on the toilet in the women's bathroom. On the sink. Wherever you may go. These are ways that we can witness. Right, take this. Look, you want to sit down with someone and work through this booklet on what the gospel is? Here's your information right here. I'm not going to say, hey, you need to do this without trying to help you get to that point. That, I would not be a faithful pastor, but take these. And if I, if I need to order more, I'll order more. I'll pay for them out of my own pocket. But folks, they, we've got means to get the gospel out. The exhortation is quite simple. Be a doer of the word. Not a hearer only, as James says. And the exhortation ends with a reward for perseverance. Let me say this. Perseverance is a mark of a genuine Christian. Perseverance through trials, perseverance through times of complacency. Heaven where, where we will eternally dwell. That's what the tree of life represents. It represents heaven. And the reward for faithfully persevering is heaven. It's to be in the eternal presence of God. So let me ask you some questions in closing. Have you lost your zeal for gospel proclamation? Can you remember a time when that was all you wanted to talk about? Can you remember a time when you didn't want to talk about anything else but the gospel? And you wanted to talk about what God has done for you through Christ. Now, I've heard people say that if you don't know the gospel, give your testimony. But let me tell you, your testimony without the gospel is just a, I pulled up myself by my bootstrap story. I turned over a new leaf story. If you cannot give your testimony without giving the gospel, it's not a testimony. It's simply a testimony of making a better life. Have you lost your zeal? Have you lost your joy in seeing people come to faith in Christ? I got a friend of mine that I talk to every day. Y'all have heard me talk about him. Dean Robertson's his name. He, he does exist. He's a real guy. He lives in Louisiana. He works in his church. He works in the Iwana. They've got an Iwana program. He is the primary teacher uh, at the end of the night. They have this time where they, they, uh, he has a Bible verse that he has to give about a 15 or 20 minute sermon on. With kids. All he's been doing for about three years now is sharing the gospel with them, teaching them what salvation looks like. What salvation... If, if, if you profess to know Christ, this is what it should be. And you know what? They're having people saved. Kids, 12-year-olds getting saved and, and being evident that God worked in them. And you know what I get to do? I get to rejoice, Brother James, that my friend is having a part in building the kingdom of God. If you come to me and say, Brother Brian... Man, I've been witnessing the so-and-so for a while, and they're coming to church, and they've got saved. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to rejoice. Why? Because you had a part in building the kingdom of God. Have you lost your joy in seeing people come to faith in Christ? Have you ceased praying for the lost? 
I, I think that's probably a point that we miss more than any. And, I, and I'm troubled. I mean, let me say again, not to, your, not, to, not to guilt anyone, but we've got a prayer list full of people that's got sickness and all kind of stuff, and I don't see very many, if any, salvations on our list. I've had people come to me privately and say, could you pray for so-and-so? I'd like to see them get saved. I'd like to see them come to know Christ. I'd like to see my phone blow up with that so I can add those to my prayer list. Have you ceased witnessing altogether? Have you ceased witnessing of the gospel of Jesus Christ altogether? Do you think it's just my responsibility to preach the gospel? Do you invite people saying, Boy, uh, man, I hope that Brother Brian preaches the gospel this week. I'm going to follow the advice of Charles Spurgeon and I'm going to find Christ in a text and make a beeline for the cross. But that is to exhort you and to teach you that you be a witness where you are. Let me close with this. When was the last time you sat down with someone and said, I've got something I need to talk to you about and shared the gospel with them? When was the last time? I can think of several people right now that I want to sit down with immediately and talk to. When was the last time? Folks, all hope is not lost. Repent and return to your first love. Let's pray.